Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855am on your dial app or digitally. My name is Flick Manning and I'm your host. Brainwaves is a mental health-focused show with a lived experience lens, and joining me today is Steph Fanasia. Steph Fanasia is a psychologist, mother, and podcaster living in Nam on Wurundjeri country. She's the host of the Psycho Cinematic Podcast, a fortnightly show that analyzes depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. She uses her own experience of mental illness and her psychologist experiences and training and invites guests with lived experience to join her to discuss this media. So without further ado, Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Flick. It's great to be here. Absolute pleasure. Now, I really love the work that you share on social media in particular, and I've been following you for a while now, so I have a few burning questions for you today. So I'm going to just dive right in. So, Steph, why did you become a psychologist? Um, I think... Uh, becoming a psychologist was definitely inspired by my own experiences with psychology as I was growing up. I have generalized anxiety disorder and started experiencing panic attacks when I was about seven years old and had a lot of counseling from that time, uh, which was luckily a very positive experience of counseling. So I think my interest in mental health, particularly in children, young people, families, was very much peaked since then. And then when it was time to pick what I wanted to study when I finished school, I really couldn't think of anything else that I wanted to do apart from maybe journalism or drama, but I didn't think I was cut out for either of those. Um, So yeah, I studied psychology straight out of um, high school and yeah, have never left. How fantastic to sort of get inspired, I guess, so young through your own experiences and that is actually quite a a relatively young age in terms of sort of experiencing those extreme reactions to anxiety Mm -hmm. like panic attacks Mm -hmm. Um, so that must have been quite a journey for you to get from where you were to the point of even perhaps feeling comfortable studying that and thinking about you know working with other people experiencing similar things did you have to do any kind of uh, specific I guess counseling or work on yourself that allowed you to feel confident talking to other people in the same scenario? Definitely um, particularly as I started working in private practice I was really drawn to working with particularly kids with anxiety um, and anxiety disorders but it could also at times be triggering 
for my own anxiety, particularly as, you know, panic attacks. One of the triggers for panic can be talking about panic attacks. So apologies to anyone listening. <laughs> so I did have a lot of my own counseling to manage my own anxiety as well and, and ensure that I'm not sort of transferring a little bit. But also I think what's great about having lived experience and being a psychologist is you really you really get it where your client's coming from. And I think that makes for the best not it doesn't mean that everyone is a psychologist has to experience what they're treating, but it does definitely make for that um, empathy and being able to validate what that client is feeling. So I've at times thought, oh, maybe it's too much for me to deal with these populations when it can be triggering. But I also think that that's where my strength is at the same time. So yeah, it's it's something that you just kind of have to balance and manage as well. Yeah, that makes total, total sense. And I think there's something to be said for living within your own vulnerability and using that as a superpower. I think people that can actually harness that and do that do a lot of good in this world. So my hat's off to you for doing that as well. Um, So Steph, what inspired you then to start the Psycho Cinematic Podcast? Well, I've always loved film and TV um, and analysing themes in um, movies and TV shows. And my brother and I were obsessed with film and he's my brother's actually in the film industry and that's how I met my husband was through my brother. They both went to film school together so there's a lot of film elements in my family so that really rubbed off on me. Um, but I was always, particularly when I was studying, really struck by how inaccurate depictions of psychologists and therapy in films were and how just sometimes completely unethical <laughs> some of the things they would do in those films. So that was always kind of been burning in the background. Um, And then I've always had a bit of a, I want to do something creative. I want to write something or um, do something that's outside of just giving therapy. And then um, I got into podcasts and then I started thinking about doing a podcast and then COVID hit and suddenly there was all this time to actually do it. And I also went on maternity leave. So I was off work. So that sort of created the perfect place to actually put the work in and have the space to actually complete the podcast. It was just me and my husband at the time because it was, you know, pretty early days and also there was no one one could visit us. And he was a med student then and he's now a doctor. So I I was able to sort of use that sort of side of things. But I'm really lucky that it's grown enough that I can invite guests with lived experience on the podcast, which was always the plan. But, you know, it takes a little while to get that momentum going. And yeah, three almost three years later, it's still going. That's amazing. It's just amazing sometimes the universe puts a whole bunch of scenarios together in alignment for you and just makes the conditions just perfect for something to yes. just bubble up a little bit. That's awesome. It's nice to have one tiny little silver lining of, of the pandemic. <laughs> right, exactly. I think all of us are sort of sitting back as we obviously still go through the, the ongoing pandemic experience and trying to sort of find those silver linings as we go. And that's definitely obviously one of them for you, which is great. Now on the podcast, you actually helped to sort of bust myths and change perceptions about mental health in the mass media broadly. Why do you consider this to be a really important thing to do? That's a really good question because a lot of people don't agree with me sometimes. <laughs> like for every post on um, Instagram or TikTok, there's at least one person who says, it's just a movie. Why are you thinking too hard about it? It's just it's just a kid's show. 
um, or it's not that deep. So it's always a little bit frustrating. And I know that I do analyze things maybe a little bit too deeply, but there is actually a lot of research out there that shows um, that the impact of film can actually influence what we perceive in mental illness in the psychology world and disability, um, particularly with disability, like so many disabled tropes have been perpetuated through the media and that are still occurring, like, for example, Wizard of Oz with people with dwarfism or little people. I still get people come up to, or kids come up to them in the street saying, oh, you're a munchkin. So it's really, I think, irresponsible to not consider that media has a huge part to play in how we perceive mental illness, disability, therapy, psychology. And yeah, some of the research out there, particularly around schizophrenia, there's was, was quite a bit out there around how fictional films with like negative negative portrayals lead to more negative attitudes towards schizophrenia. And also any there was like a review of all the different um, films around mental health and the stigmas so perpetuated in those films. It looked at it said that about seventy five percent of characters with mental health with a mental health condition were shown in context with being disparaging and 43% with humour. So it's either it's a negative depiction or it's a humorous depiction. And also quite a few film characters are considered violent and often quite a few characters die in those films too. So they're never given a very positive uh, narrative as well. And it's also worth looking at in a positive sense too. Even those depictions that are a little bit inaccurate but at least put something on the map. For example, um, there's a film that we just reviewed called Ode to Joy, which talks about uh, narcolepsy and narcolepsy with cataplexy. And it's a pretty flawed film. There's a lot of inaccuracies within it. But compared to with all the humorous depictions we've seen in the past of like the um, Toulouse and Moulin Rouge falling through the roof, it's a much more positive depiction of actually people knowing what narcolepsy actually is. And the Project Sleep, um, which is a sleep foundation, linked up with the film and, and promoted, um, did a, like a public service announcement based on the film. So that was a really positive outcome, even though it wasn't a particularly accurate film. And I guess another piece of research, sorry, I'm just rattling it all off, is that portrayals of therapy has an effect on therapist trainees and also and how people see therapy as well. And that is absolutely what happened to me. Um, a lot of people... Um, expect you go to a psychologist and you whatever happens on screen is what happens in real life and often the case that's not so it has a really huge impact it can make the difference between someone accessing therapy and not accessing therapy so yeah that's my response to anyone who thinks it's not important <laughs> perfect response and I couldn't agree with you more it's so so important I mean we we hear all the time that representation matters and I think once you've got a slogan like that, eventually it becomes normalized and people then don't understand necessarily the weight and the importance of it, but it really truly makes a difference to what's going on in your brain and therefore your whole perception. I mean, it shapes culture and society exactly. and, and families, so it's extremely important. And again, that's part of the reason why I love the work that you're doing, Steph. Thanks. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM on the app or live stream. My name is Flick Manning, and today I'm joined by Steph Fonesia, psychologist, mother, and host of the Psychocinematic Podcast. Steph, what can society do differently to reduce the stigma around mental health and represent the lived experiences 
of mental health conditions in a better and more accurate way? That's a great question. Um, I think the most important thing that needs to change is have people with lived experience in more decision-making roles in the mental health field as well as um, in the actual depictions of mental health, which is gradually improving as we sort of evolve as a society, but still a long ways to go, I think. One of my future guests that I interviewed recently said, nothing about us without us in charge, which I really liked. It was a little bit of a a spin on the nothing about us without us comment, not just have consultation with someone with a disability or mental health, but also have them in an active um, leadership role because that's sometimes that's the difference in seeing a, an accurate depiction versus an inaccurate depiction. You can kind of really tell when a representation has been created with people with mental health issues in in the f- sort of forefront. I also think we're becoming a bit more discerning as a community um, now that mental health is becoming a lot less taboo to talk about thanks to social media. So the conversation's continuing and it's growing. So I think um, it just needs to continue to grow so that there are more opportunities for people with mental illness to be involved in um, representation and be supported to do so as well. So making sure that film sets, the film industry, and and just generally um, media are inclusive so that people's access to needs are being taken into account and they're actually leading what those are. And it's I think it, another point as well is that the some of the stigma actually comes from the mental illness sector itself as well. For example, the DSM is, it's, widely known that it's a very flawed diagnostic tool and when it was sort of created it was really only based on the male population the straight cis population so we're starting to shift away from just using that research-based modalities such as just using like things like the dsm and incorporating more lived experience based modalities as well so um, we're getting a more well-rounded understanding of mental illness and disability and also treatment and I think that's a really exciting place to go. Also, we need to put more money into the mental health system and fund it properly and make it more accessible to gain a diagnosis and have treatment, uh, which is a huge undertaking. And I really hope that we make some movements towards that. Yeah, 100%. Um, tick, tick, tick to everything I have just said. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think the lived experience angle is just so essential in in all ways and I actually find it extremely baffling as a person with mental illness and disability myself that these things have sort of taken so long to even be considered to be important. Uh, But it it is so absolutely essential that we are not sort of sidelined and that we are actually sort of truly included properly and I think you've highlighted the ways in which that can happen really beautifully. And now, Steph, like many folks, as we went into the start of the pandemic, and I, of course, want to stress here that the pandemic is ongoing. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about it in the past tense. And isolation became a thing for so many of us. And, you know, people with disabilities are still very much in that place as well. I embarked on watching a lot of older films and TV at that time because suddenly, you know, home was the only space that I could be in. And I really wanted that nostalgia kick to feel good, have things around me that sort of made me feel warm and cuddly. So I sort of was watching all of this stuff that in my memory was really wonderful and really, you know, turning points in my life as a teenager and a child. And then was absolutely flawed on rewatching them now as an adult about just how horrid some of the themes and societal messages and how terrible the portrayal of 
so many different sort of scenarios actually were. When people, you know, tune into your podcast or look at your socials, are people generally surprised when they rewatch older movies and TV at what was being put in their brain, you know, in the 90s and the 80s and so on? And if so, what aspects of that are they actually most surprised by? Yes, constantly. I'm also surprised myself when I'll rewatch something that I loved when I was younger. And, and it might not necessarily be just mental illness, but just the messages of living your life or, um, you know, gender and sexuality and things like that. And yeah, sometimes that can be hard for people to, I guess I've often been accused of ruining someone's favorite film, sometimes lightheartedly, sometimes not. Uh, particularly Disney. Disney is the biggest thing people get surprised by and also really upset by um, whenever I point it out, especially TikTok. And uh, particularly disabled tropes, Disney is very responsible for reinforcing a lot of um, those such as Captain Hook, the Seven Dwarves. And there's also lots of psychological themes in some of those really classic beloved films like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. A lot of those movies, love seems to be the cure-all, whether it's mental illness, uh, disability, just life, um, love is the answer to everything, um, which is also perpetuated in a lot of films where mental illness is um, the overarching theme. So I find it always really frustrating, but people can get quite defensive when, when you bring up some of the negative themes in those or not unhelpful themes in some of those movies because they're so beloved. And I feel bad sometimes, but it also, I think it's really important to say that I'm not trying to ruin, I'm actually not trying to ruin anything. I can't, it might inadvertently dampen some of your favorite films, but it's really important to be aware of those tropes. There's a reason why we evolve and change as a society because what maybe served us then doesn't serve us now. We know more now and we can choose to accept or reject those tropes. And I'm not trying to tell anyone to stop watching something. For example, I mentioned The Wizard of Oz before. It's still one of my favourite films and I'll still watch it, <laughs> even though it was awful to the the dwarfism community and perpetuated so many stereotypes. But the more that we can critique and have conversations about what we see and just watch things with a more critical lens, that we can actually pick up or reject some of the messages that it shares. And on that note about um, mental illness, particularly a lot of mental illness is shown through horror and thriller films, things like Hitchcock films like Psycho. Um, a lot of people were surprised, um, we talked about Psycho in just a, a sort of summary episode, that the di- the mental illness that um, Norman Bates has doesn't actually exist. Like he, he um, there isn't actually a mental illness where you take on the persona of your mother. <laughs> it's made up. And so that was surprising to some people. And I think it's, you know, can be really fun to look at the horror um, or use mental illness in some of those sort of horror lenses, but um, it is very much the product of its time sometimes and can perpetuate very negative stereotypes. But yeah, it's really just about looking at the context of the film, what its purpose was, like often those um, older um, depictions weren't there to share about this mental illness and bring awareness for it. It was just to tell a story. So keeping that in mind, but also rejecting some of the messages that come from it. Absolutely. I think it sort of serves as 
in a way like good empathy training for society to relook at stuff and sometimes it is very uncomfortable you know people have to learn to sit with discomfort um, mm-hmm. and again that's something that we've not been trained to do very well as a society as we're trying to True. ignore all the discomfort run away from pain all of those kinds of things but growth you know is sort of has that precursor of discomfort to it and I think that's a really good place for people to sit to learn how to empathize with other people because then you're going well it might not affect me personally at this point in my life, but what if something happens to my body and it changes and then actually I am like that person that's depicted on screen as a villain purely because I have got a facial difference or something along those lines. And of course, you're not going to want to be treated that way in actual society if something does get changed. So I think it's, you know, it's important that we sit with our discomfort. Definitely, 100%. Now, Steph, what TV shows and movies would you recommend people watch to get maybe a clearer idea on the lived experience of mental health or the you know actual experience of being a therapist for example uh great question um there's so much out there that's not very accurate but there's also some really beautiful um representation that's excellent i guess anything that has the actual community involved in the creation of it not just consulted with but what created or acted in it or um had some uh, production credits and things like that. One thing we just reviewed recently was Please Like Me, which is the TV series by Josh Thomas. And it just portrays mental illness in so many different aspects. And you can really tell that it was done really carefully and with love and also not really tried not to um, perpetuate some of the common tropes um, that occur and also showed it very, so I guess in context, um, so Josh Thomas created this show as a bit of a, a tribute to his mother's mental health journey, um, who has bipolar, um, but there's also grief in it, there's anxiety in it, there's lots of um, controversial subjects, there's abortion, and it's a really well fleshed out, very well um, handled depiction of, of those things, as well as being in a mental mental health ward in a hospital um, that's something we don't see very well um, uh, probably the most common memory of that would be one floor over the cuckoo's nest which is based in the 60s and some of those things were accurate and some of them were prob- um, a little bit embellished for the story but it was please like me I think it's just it just ticks all the boxes of a good portrayal with lived experience within it and showing realistic messages not not necessarily positive or negative, just um, the I guess the complexity of mental illness and it how it it, it goes you know it has highs and lows and then it's not a beginning middle and end kind of story. So that TV show is amazing. And then in terms of film portrayal, um, I think the best one I've seen. It's not very popular. It uh, it was a, a a blockbuster as they tend not to be. But there's a, sh- a mo- movie called Touch with Fire, which is a depiction of uh, bipolar disorder created, uh, directed, written by someone with bipolar. And uh, Katie Holmes and Luke Kirby are in it who don't have bipolar, but they really, even though they aren't the people with lived experience with bipolar in the role, I think their star power probably needed it to be there for the film to you know have traction. So it, it's really important to note that they don't, it doesn't have to tick 100% of the boxes of lived experience in order for it to be 
a responsible, respectful, good representation of mental illness, um, but it was led by that lived experience. And I think that's really important. And people from the bipolar community really see themselves represented in that. There's no um, love fixes everything tropes or it shows sort of the really not so positive side as well as some of the strengths that people with bipolar can have, but it also doesn't um, glamorize it as well. So definitely watch that one if you can. It was on SBS On Demand, but I don't think it's there anymore. Excellent to have some um, some things that we can tune into and have a look. And uh, yeah, please like me, one of my faves, absolute faves, and I agree with you, it did such a good job of depicting the complexity of it and, and being more realistic, as you said, with the messaging that's actually in that. I thought that was so refreshing when I watched that because I thought, oh, okay, I think people can actually see their actual lives in mm. this show and that's a rare treat. So everybody watch that. I know it's on Netflix, just as an FYI, anyone that's yes. got Netflix. It's very accessible. Watch it if you have it. Exactly. Welcome back to Brainwaves on 3CR Radical Radio. My name is Vic Manning and today I'm joined by Steph Fanesia of the Psychocinematic Podcast. Steph, now you're a parent and so I'm just sort of wondering what would your vision for the world be in terms of what you want your child to grow up with in regards to mental health and also as a secondary aspect to that question, how are you planning on it or have you already started having conversations with them about mental health? It's a great question. I feel like no parent wants their kid to grow up with a mental illness, but I'm trying to be realistic in that my son has rampant family history of mental health issues and he also has to grow up in a pandemic world in <laughs> with all of its flaws. So I think what's what I'm hoping for in a world where my son can grow up as healthy as possible is that it's a it's a more open world where you can talk openly and freely about mental illness. I'd really love that the mental health stigma continues this sort of decline and there continue to be more representations of mental illness and disability. Um, and for the same reason that it's it's unlikely that, that my son will escape disability or mental illness. It's very unlikely. So we can't bubble wrap our kids, but we can prepare them for that world. And I'd love it to be a better funded world so when he he needs help, he can access that easily uh, on the same basis as everybody else. And I feel like the I guess the, the sort of my generation are coming to that acceptance of our shared traumas where the generation before us weren't really allowed to speak too much about mental illness, their, even their emotions in general and expected to sort of fit into those societal roles and carry on and get their head down. So they weren't really given the tools to become emotionally healthy and resilient. So I feel like we're in a good position as parents of this generation to be able to give those tools to our kids that we had to learn for ourselves. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that my son's generation and his kids are really emotionally resilient and well-rounded. They're just going to be excellent, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> exactly. But look, as we said, you know, we each generation learns from the past hopefully and then tries to do a little bit better or a little bit differently I think that world that you've described sounds lovely and I, I'd love to to live in that and see people sort of embrace mental health with a lack of stigma as well wouldn't that be wonderful I do have rose-colored glasses on <laughs> oh look I think we all do we, we need a nice little bit of hope especially in this pandemic world so I can completely uh, understand why you have those rose-colored glasses on in that way 
Well, Steph, we have to wrap up the show. I knew we would burn through our time, but I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you, not only for coming on the show today, but for the wonderful work you are doing to change the discourse around mental health. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, It's great to talk about something I'm very passionate about. Absolute pleasure. Everyone at home or driving home at the moment, you can tune into Steph's podcast on all good podcast apps. And of course, you can check out more information on her website, which is psychocinematicpodcast.com. Steph is also on all of the socials and the podcast also has a Patreon with lots of bonus content for low-cost subscriptions and they regularly donate to causes close to their heart like Transcend Australia. We're, of course, going to have all those links up on the 3CR page so you can click through to all of that and make sure that you, of course, subscribe and get behind the work that Steph is doing. And finally, you can tune into Brainwave same time and place next Wednesday and catch the replays of our shows on the 3CR podcast page or on Spotify. Until next time, I would like to remind you that your mental health is of equal importance to your physical health. So if you were yet to do so today, bring them together in harmony for a moment now by taking a nice big inhale a lovely deep exhale and remember to shower yourself in the kindness that you so easily give to others i look forward to chatting to you next time on brainwaves if you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with we would like to encourage you to call wellways helpline wellways helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.